And I thought uh, I knew where I wanted to go this week, and I, I said, okay, let's, you know, I've got to have notes. Well, I wrote no notes for this week. But I know what I want to talk about. Well, I hope you're all enjoying this season. I hope you all have kept Amazon busy or Walmart or wherever you go. I can't wait to see the Discover card bill when it hits in January. <clears throat> we got our Christmas tree up yesterday. Well, we put it up last week and Patty and I decorated it yesterday. Had a real nice time. We're talking in January will be a year her mom passed away. And we were talking about, man, without Grandma here, we're probably going to be short about 30 presents under the tree that she always gives everybody. Uh, it's not about the presents. It's not about the tree. It's not about all the wonderful food we're going to devour. It's, it's about Jesus. And as I talked about last week... It's always said gifts of the Spirit. I, I changed that a little bit. I changed it to gifts from the Spirit instead of the Spirit. Because He gives those to us. And I guess I've, I've gotten a new perspective as I study to, to give these little teaching sessions that I do. Last week I talked about all the gifts, gift of wisdom, knowledge, faith, healing, miracles, prophecy, discerning of spirits, different kinds of tongues, and interpreting tongues. And and as I and I think and I ponder this, I, I try to realize what I have seen in the past as experienced with these gifts. And I, I've seen the church exalt the gifts and not the giver, which is sad. I've seen the church exalt the positions that God has given to people as apostles, preachers, pastors, evangelists. And they have become positions and not just gifts that are used to build up the body of the church. They're not titles, they're just gifts. And there's really nobody who hasn't received the gifts. It's not something you earn. They're given by grace. One of the things we talked about last week. And I showed you a, a little picture. still have it with me. Of a gift given to me. From my granddaughter, Avia. It's not the gift that has any value. It's Avia who gave it to me. And we have gotten so messed up with our, our, our thinking of the gifts. We have, we've exalted people who we think have the better gifts. We've ex exalted denominations who think if you don't have gifts, you're not saved. Mm -hmm. Certain gifts. Or certain gifts prove that you're saved. Or that you have a little more than somebody else. And the problem is we go on exalting 
that over and over. And I think everybody is the same in God's eyes. I t- there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, there is no free man. We are all his, deeply loved. And the, the bad thing about it is the world just doesn't understand. You know, we're not defined by who we are or what our body looks like or anything else. We are defined by Christ. And as I went through the the gifts and, and talked about them a little bit last week, I said I was going to come to this, this one place. And, you know, I really will. I think I'll be brief today unless the Lord just starts downloading stuff and I start just gabbing on. But we'll see what he has in store. The gift to gab, yes. But I want to I want to go to the thirteenth chapter of First Corinthians, and as again as I as I read through these, it's amazing how Paul is basically in, in Corinth and he's telling these people, "Look, I've been here and I've set these up. Let me let me go through these again. This is this is the communion supper. This is the meal, and this is how you conduct it. And and really." The gifts are just, all he does is list the gifts for the most part. It's just, here, here are gifts that all of you have, use them. Use them for the building up the body, for showing people who gave the gifts. And he goes through all these things, and, and it's like building blocks that he says, now here's this, now here's this, now here's this. And we, and we come to... Chapter 13, and the, the line in chapter 12, the very verse, last sentence in chapter 12 really defines chapter 13. And you all know that there was no chapters. These are letters. There was no 12 and 13. It was a continual flow. And I'm going to read from the NIV, and it says, And now I will show you the most excellent way. I will show you the most excellent way. You know, I've talked about all the gifts. I've talked about prophecy and words of wisdom. And there is nothing wrong with using these gifts and sharing them. They are, boy, they they really are. They are fun to use what the Holy Spirit's given you and move in those gifts. There is pleasure in it. But he says, and now I will show you the most excellent way. There's nothing above this one. There's nothing beyond this one. And I'm going to read, I'm just going to read a portion of this. Maybe into verse 8. He says, if I speak with tongues of men and angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy and it does not boast and it is not proud it is not rude and it is not self-seeking it is not easily angered and it keeps no record of wrong love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth 
It always protects, it always trusts, always hopes, and always perseveres. Love never fails. And he goes on into, into that verse talking about growing and maturity and what it is going to be like when we're face-to-face. -face. Remember when we took communion last time, it, we talked about breaking the bread as the show bread, and it was, we, were t we talked about seeing Jesus face-to-face, -face and you know that, that is such a symbol of, of seeing who he really is, and that on the road to Emmaus, that the two disciples that were with Jesus who wanted to go further and go beyond, but they wanted to stop there. So he decided to stop with them. And he saw them when they broke the bread. They were face to face with him. Well, these verses have been used many times. They've been used in the secular world to make people feel happy because they put a couple of Bible verses in their wedding messages or, you know, they really sound neat. It's great poetry. There's tremendous truth in it, but... Again, we, we have exalted this to, to bash people over the head with. See, we, we, we talk about love, but then we turn around and say, well, if you don't, you know, if you don't forgive what I've done, you just don't have love for me. We use it against people. Or we hear, well, why are you bringing that up? I thought, love doesn't remember wrong. Well, you failed me in a way, so obviously you don't love me. And we've taken this so out of context with what I really feel that, you know, that I, I see in here. That we have secularized these verses to meet our need that we can talk about love, which the world has no clue what love is. It isn't going to the bar and finding your next hookup. It isn't the boy in high school that said you're beautiful to manipulate you. It isn't, do I need to explain more? <laughs> <laughs> See, we have used love and we have degraded the value of love, dare I say, almost to a pornographic level. We have destroyed what love really means. And that's one reason I, I want to I talk about this, these, these verses in a different way. And I'm going to read them to you in the Bishop Greg translation. And I want, you to, I want you to understand that this is what the Lord has put in my heart and you want it you got a problem with it, that, that's quite all right. I don't care if you have a problem with anything I do. We have always said, question us in what we say. But if there's truth in it, I ask you to ponder it. We have, over the last couple of years, totally changed our concept of, of grace and, and the walk with Christ. And one of the things we have tried to emphasize, Terry and I have tried to emphasize, that God is love. That it's not, it's not a name tag he wears when you see him as superintendent love. It's, it's, not, it's not part of his personality. It is who he is. It's his essence. 
if you could, you would smell love when you see him. You would know what love smells like. You would hear love. Your senses would come alive in his presence with love. So when Paul says, I want to give you the most excellent way, I think what he's trying to say is this is this is love this is who love is so bear with me i am going to read this in the bishop greg translation and now i will show you the more most excellent way if i speak with tongues of men and angels but have not the father I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all the mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not the Father, I am nothing. If I give all my possessions to the poor and surrender my body to the flames but have not the Father, I gain nothing. The Father is patient. The Father is kind. He does not envy. He does not boast. He is not proud. He is not rude. He is not self-seeking. He is not eagerly angered. He keeps no records of wrong. The Father does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. He always protects, he always trusts, he always hopes, he always perseveres. The Father never fails. That gives you a brand new perspective of love. See, as all the gifts that have been given to us from the Holy Spirit and, and the building up of the church and stuff, It is not for the building up of the church or for the building up of men or putting people in position. It is to point to the Father and his love. And we have missed that. We have missed that. Just as Gary said, joy. We have missed the true meaning of joy. We think the joy is what we have and what we feel. No, it's when we look at the Father what we have and what we understand who he is. So all the gifts of the Spirit just point to the Father and to his love for us and who we are. And sometimes in our, in our stupidity and <laughs> the way we, we deal with things, we are people who... Sit in the chair of the Spirit. I know the, I know the Father, I know the Spirit, and that's where I live. But things aren't going my way. The Father never fails. But we sit here and we sit and we, we hang our heads and we start questioning the Father but we're sitting in his chair in his presence and we question him and we wonder what's going on. I want to give you an example of a man in the Bible who was a man after God's own heart 
who knew the intimacy with the Father better than any other man or woman. And one place when he after he was after he was made king, he ran into a situation where Absalom, his son, wanted to be king, wanted to take control. And it's in Second Samuel fifteen, sixteen, I think seventeen, and I recommend you read that. And I, I was reading through this, and I'm going, there's nothing new under the sun. It is the same thing over and over. And I and I'm not going to read a whole lot of this, but I'm just going to read you a little bit of what Absalom was doing to David, who was the king, who was his father. And he was, he was trying to get position. And when I say there is nothing new under the sun, when I read this, I hope you perceive what I'm talking about. Absalom at this time would be outside the city and he would have 50 men standing in front of him and he would stand in his chariot and he would have the 50 men and they would stand by the side of the road leading into the gate of the city. And it starts down in verse 2. It says, When anyone came with a complaint to be placed before the king for a decision, Absalom would call out to him, What town are you from? He would answer, The servant is one of the tribes of the one of the tribes of Israel. Then Absalom would say to him, Look, your claims are valid and proper, but there is no representative of the king to hear you. And Absalom would add, If only I were appointed judge in the land, then everyone who has a complaint or case could come to me, and I would see that he gets justice. That is the same argument that goes on in our political world. If you would look at me, I would give you justice. I would give you what you want. I would take care of all your needs. Just make me king. There is nothing new under the world or under the sun. But David's response, as you, as you read through these, was totally different than the response we see in the world today. David got driven out of his, his position and and his soldiers, you know, wanted to, hey, let's, let's deal with this. Let's, you know, violently deal with this. And David said, no, God has a plan and he's going to work his plan out. It doesn't really matter what I see. This is a paraphrase. It doesn't really matter what I see. He's always been faithful to me. He has always done what I've asked him to do. He has always been there for me, and it doesn't matter. We are not going to go out, and we're not going to do this. We are going to trust in the Lord. See, he was the one that understood what love was. He knew where to go. He knew what to do. And in this time when he was hiding in the caves again, thinking that everything was taken care of, he wrote this psalm. And really, my, my whole message... It's just going to end here in just a minute. See, even at times when we have all the gifts, we understand everything that's going on. There are times when we sit and we bow our heads and, and silently murmur to ourselves what, what has happened and why is, this is not fair. David, in his sitting in the cave, could have murmured 
and said, this is not fair, Father, and after all, you did make me king. Call down and, and take these people out. But in Psalm 3, this is where David comes down and he shares his heart with the Father and he says, O Lord, how many are my foes? How many rise up against me? Many are saying of me, God will not deliver him. How many times have you been in a situation and somebody goes, God can't, won't deliver you from that? What are you, what are you doing? Selah. Then comes the great but. David goes, but you are a shield around me, O Lord. You bestow glory on me and you lift my head. And I cry, and the Lord, I cry out loud, and he answers me from his holy hill. And it goes on. In this walk, in this lifetime that you have, you're going to have gifts, you're going to display gifts, you're going to move in gifts, you're going to be given titles, you're going to have titles taken away. You're going to sit in the, the chair of the righteous. You're going, to, you're going to have people going, his God won't save him. You're going to have poor decisions that you have made, and you're going to have poor decisions made around you that will the ripple effect will suck you in. But the thing you have to remember is that God is the lifter of your head, Amen. and he will never, ever let you go. Everything, the gifts, prophecy, tongues, they're not for denominations, they're not for, they are for the body of Christ to point to the Father who is nothing but pure love, who will never, ever let you go. Selah. Yea, God. <laughs>